I need to know everything Who and the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But act like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws To turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you'll be surprised At the info you get Is by letting them talk Hey everyone I'm Ashley Asty, And I'm curious Aren't you? I'm Curious Podcast Brings the unfamiliar closer I'm telling stories and sharing conversations with people who remind us that love demands we move toward justice and that we're all connected. This opening music is called Curious George by Nate Rose. All right, let's get to it. I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche, there's five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now they ain't go harder than me. The episode this week with Rashid Hughes hit the spot. We open with a rejuvenating, freeing meditation practice called Rest, led by Rashid. It's seven minutes free from striving, a chance to melt into presence and connect to who you are. And then we dove into conversation, unpacking the pillars of his contemplative rest practice, including release, emptiness, surrender, and trust. But this is not just any contemplative practice. Rashid is on a mission to create a practice that includes everyone, especially BIPOC people. So our conversation takes a turn toward social and restorative justice, toward exhaustion and systemic oppression, and back to gratitude. A little about Rashid. He is a native of Richmond, Virginia, and a proud graduate of the Howard University Department of Music and the Howard University School of Divinity. He's a certified mindfulness and yoga teacher and a restorative justice specialist in Washington, D.C. In 2019, he co-founded the Heart Refuge Mindfulness Community, a mindfulness community in Washington, D.C. that's dedicated to inspiring Black, Indigenous, and people of color to live with love and courage. In 2020, he was selected to be an affiliate teacher for the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, D.C., and he was also invited to be a teacher of the Presence Collective. More recently, Rashid created a contemplative practice, Rest, a practice for the tired and weary. Rest is made up of four pillars, an invitation for us to become more familiar with being completely free of the energy of striving and becoming. We rest, he says, abiding effortlessly, being aware and awake. Throughout all of his work, he uses a comprehensive set of mindfulness-based modalities like meditation, breathing practices, trauma-tapping techniques, and yoga to deepen people's ability to be resilient in the midst of challenges and to connect to their innate inner peace and happiness. The teachings of James Baldwin, Toni Morrison, and the music of Miles Davis and John Coltrane are deep sources of inspiration and hope for Rashid. He's devoted to helping all people rediscover well-being and fulfillment through learning how to live more compassionately towards themselves and their world. This episode is so nourishing. If you're listening while driving, just let the energy of the first seven minutes, the meditation, wash over you, and you can return to it later to experience it for yourself. I promise it's worth it. Okay, let's dive in. All right. Well, Rashid, I am so grateful to have you here. As I was just saying to you before, I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. And I just already just like the experience of being in your energy. And I think it's going to be a grounding conversation. Hopefully we can dive deep. So thanks for joining me. Yes. 
Thanks, Ashley, for having me. Of course. So I feel like this is a little bit of a treat for me because what we had planned is that you're going to open this podcast. I'm essentially going to hand it off to you for a few minutes to lead us through a meditation. And I'll give you a chance to introduce it however you'd like in your own words in a moment. I just wanted to read something, though, that you had written about your rest practice. In Mindful Magazine, you called it a contemplative practice about being, not doing. And you said it invites us to become more familiar with our inner spaciousness, which I just love, inner spaciousness. And to me, when we spoke last, you had told me it's about understanding who we are at the core of our being and being aware and awake to life. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) So with that, I'm going to toss it off to you. You can introduce this in whatever way you want or dive in when you're ready. Okay. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. So we'll um, do maybe a uh, what do you think? A seven minute, about seven minutes. Is that good? That sounds great. <laughs> seven minutes, uh, a brief, just a brief experience of the four pillars of rest. And um, so I'll take us through each pillar and then we'll, we'll see what, we'll see what happens. What comes up from that. Perfect. Okay. And I have, I have my, uh, my meditation bell here. So I'll just start off with a with one bell just to invite us to begin together. Okay, so just inviting you to find a posture that feels comfortable for you. And some sometimes I like to lie down, sometimes I prefer sitting up, sometimes standing. But most importantly, just finding a posture where your, your body feels, feels okay and at ease. And with the rest practice, we, we start off by just allowing everything to be as it is. So there's no intention to achieve anything. There's no efforting to move beyond any aspect of our experience in this moment. The invitation is to really just allow your attention to relax and to find rest and just being natural. So we relax our attention, meaning rather than directing our attention outward or focusing our attention inwardly, we completely release our attention from any direction or motion. And this is the R of rest. 
and it's very natural for urges of striving to arise. And that's not a problem. Doesn't mean that you're doing the practice wrong. And as the striving or maybe efforting or thinking emerges, we simply remain awake and aware, empty of all controlling. So we exhale all striving, that includes the striving. To be peaceful, to be quiet, we simply remain empty, just relaxed and awake. And this is the E of rest. And as we are here, sometimes there's a natural sensitivity to a quality of of silence. And it doesn't mean that everything around us becomes quiet. It doesn't mean that all of our thinking will shut off. It doesn't mean that we become emotionless. But this silence is the recognition of the fact that thoughts and feelings and sounds don't disturb our natural sense of wakefulness, of being aware. So with the S of rest, sense the silence and surrender, we begin to become sensitive to the experience of being aware that's untouched by or unaltered by what's happening within us or around us. So we relax and rest in this silence, the natural silence of our being. And we surrender in this space.
And then that leaves us in the experience of the T of rest, which is tune into awareness and trust. And the tuning into awareness is nothing more than recognizing that we are aware beings. And we begin to trust that being aware is the essence and fundamental nature of who we are. So the tuning is simply trusting that there's nothing that we have to achieve or work for to acquire. this freedom. And this is the practice of rest. And I'll just invite one sound of the bell. Okay, thanks for practice. Oh, <laughs> I just want to linger in that energy. Um, I feel very like I just dropped in, which like there wasn't this like journey that I need to get there, this forcing in order to like get to this space of peace. It was just this effortless allowing, just like you're there. <laughs> I'm just trying to listen to what I feel and not what I think. Um, I noticed also just uh, at first there was like an awareness of places in my body where it's like, oh, I'm not allowing that softening. Mm -hmm. um, but by the end, I just feel, or when you said the word release and mm -hmm. like release your attention, not even inward too. Cause at first when you said not outward, I was like, okay, I'll focus inward and, mm -hmm. and sort of let it go. There was this sense of freedom, yeah. I, I, like this liberation and at one point, like when you got into the silence, I had like, because I just, I don't know, I just felt dropped into the silence, like this wave from my dream from last night just like came flooding in, mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, but mostly what I feel is like I can breathe easier and I didn't even realize before that I wasn't doing that. And it just feels very natural. And I just feel at home in me. Yeah. Um, from seven minutes, I just feel like, oh, okay, this is who I am. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, the, see the, the interesting thing about the rest practice is that it's inviting us to be with ourselves in a way that's, um, you know, not, not really, I would just say, honored uh, in, in, in our society, you know, uh, where, where we actually find a sense of self and worth uh, and just resting and being rather than in connection to something that we do, mm. you know? 
So this practice is really about uh, we're reprogramming our systems, our bodies to, to, to begin to trust that it's safe to, to stop. Um, and this emptying of, of doing and efforting isn't erasure of mm. who we are. It's actually helping us to drop into a deeper sense uh, and, and, and understanding of, of, who, of who we are beyond all of the busyness mm. that we're involved in. Yeah, I, I think I feel unexpectedly refreshed. <laughs> um, all of this noise that I didn't even realize was gathering around me this morning and just in work and things that I was doing and focusing on. And why it feels almost empowering is because, yeah, I just like, oh, I can breathe. This is me. This is where I am. Like other things have dropped. It doesn't mean that there isn't still things going on where, where I'm still like trying to gather this conversation, but it just feels like an ease with myself, which is such a blessing. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, you know, we're, most of us, we're tired. Yeah. We're exhausted. And the, the only, the only experience of, of rest that many of us have is when we go to sleep. Yeah. And we, and we, we know from all of us know from experience that just because we're sleeping doesn't mean that we're resting. Mm. Um, so, so this is an invitation for us to really expand our, our understanding and interpretation of what it means to rest. And, and for, for me, it, it really brings everything back to this, this sense of there's an inherent worthiness and there is an inherent ease in who we are that, that doesn't have to be worked for or you know earned. And I think the more we begin to trust this, that this, this refuge within us is always present, we're, we're more likely to, to pause more, you know? I, I'm going to just highlight a few things. You said this refuge is always present or always enough. I love that word refuge. Um, I was like, there was something else, but now it, it has escaped me, which is fine. Uh, oh, you were, you were talking about worthiness. And I feel like my mantra lately has been, my worth is intrinsic. I have nothing to prove. And, but I feel like, cause unfortunately we don't have enough spaces that remind us of that. And I want to unpack all of this um, and go through the pillars a little bit more and see where it takes us. But I, I was curious first, where did this practice come from in you? Like, how did it emerge in you? Yeah. Or through you? Well, it's been emerging for about six years. You know, early on when I first began to practice meditation, you know, I would go on a lot of retreats and um, do trainings and things like that. And, and one thing that I noticed is that all of the, most of the teachings and meditation instructions were we're guiding us to develop um, and train train our attention to be more present, right? Yeah. And to be to develop a sense of more of a one pointedness, the ability to focus and to to unhook, so that we might be able to be more present. And th there's a lot of value to that. There's a lot of value to learning how to to unhook from reactivity and creating a, a space. Um, to make conscious decisions and, and to kind of just be really, really in the present moment. But I also noticed that there was a fatigue that, that, I, would, that I was experiencing 
an attempt to kind of like master the, yeah. the practice and to really uh, capture the essence of what the, the guidance was pointing to, which was this freedom, right? This freedom um, mm-hmm. and this, this sense of awareness. Um, but for me, what I began to do on retreats when I began to experience this fatigue was that I would just stop. You know, we would we would still be meditating as a group, but I I would I wouldn't do the the given instruction. I would just allow myself to completely rest, to just open, and to just relax. And what I began to to see that I was connecting with this same sense of spaciousness, and freedom, and wakefulness, like presence, that you know that I would sometimes tap into when I was able to actually focus, like when my, when my thoughts would settle, you know, when all of the things in my mind and in my heart would kind of like settle, I would experience that. But with, with what I was doing was, I was creating a space for myself that was meeting my present need, which was to simply not have to do anything. Mm. And this, this was kind of like the beginning of my search for practices um, that the hell more of a effortless were more effortless in nature. Um, and I began to see that the reason why I was connecting with this practice of more of an effortless way of being and practicing was because effortlessness and grace is the nature of who we are. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been my interest with helping people to connect with this part of us that never never sleeps, never, mm. that never becomes stress, um, but that's always free, so. Mm. Oh, it's like poetry. And I think that's what I was describing. You said the release and I felt this liberation rather than this one pointedness for the first time I felt this expansion. I was like, oh, it's just like, I can just be in this expansiveness. Right. And when I lead meditations and like when I lead it for people who've never really done it before or for the first time, I feel like there's sometimes this sense that like they have to achieve this like mountaintop moment, right? Like there has to be this like epiphany or revelation or something has to be forced or they're doing it wrong if they don't have this like experience. And I think you're sort of speaking to that of like just softening into being if that's what you need. Like we, and I think we all probably could use some of that. I did want to ask you just because you, this is just like a personal inquiry really, but you use the word grace. um, And I'm always, fascinated by how people connect to grace and how they see grace. What does grace mean to you? I would just say grace is being free of conflict, being in conflict Mm. with life. You know, I think um, going back to what you said about the mountaintop experiences, I think what happens for a lot of us in meditation, especially in meditation, is that we feel like the experience is on the other side of this moment. And so that that leads us, it puts us in this place of efforting and striving, trying to mm-hmm. improve and even trying to prove to ourselves that we can, that we are worthy in a sense mm-hmm. by grasping for that experience. So for me, grace is just, is kind of like resting and trusting that my worth and my value is in being and Mm -hmm. and therefore if my inherent 
sense of worthiness and just pride is in in just being in essence, then I can I can become more aware of when I'm I'm shifting out of this place of grace, which is I begin to become in conflict and try to exercise, you know, power or strategies to get to myself in some future experience. Mm. All right. I think, I think we need to break down the pillars a little bit and I'm excited. you mentioned trust and I'm excited to, to get to that. Not that we haven't been doing that here, but, and we talked about it. So R, R is for release or relax your attention is releasing. Can it be scary for some people to use that word, like to release almost like a letting go? Absolutely. It's, it's, it can be very frightening for, for some people, um, you know, because part of our conditioning in being kind of like workaholics and, and always uh, in motion is that, you know, we become, we become less comfortable with, with not, not, ha- not being in control, right? Mm. And, and this isn't a giving up. But the, but the releasing is more so of a, a saying like, hey, like, I actually don't have to do this. I, mm. Like, it's, it's more so like an encouragement, like, like, hey, like, this isn't necessary right now, mm. you know? And, and that's the whole, that's kind of like where all of this is coming from. It's like, you know, when you need to focus, focus. When you need to pay attention, pay attention. When you need to work, work when you don't don't <laughs> but <laughs> most of us have a hard time with discerning okay this is this is not needed in this moment mm-hmm. you know so we never experience the joy of, of our being right i'm going to take us on a tangent but i'm just i'm surrendering to it. i'm just going with it <laughs> just because of what you said it's reminding me so as we're recording this right now the Olympics are happening. And I don't know if you're familiar. I was a gymnast growing up, but I think everyone, most people follow gymnastics. Do you know about Simone Biles and what happened with her? Absolutely. Yeah. So she, I guess, was feeling a tremendous sense of pressure. And so she decided that it wasn't healthy for her to stay in competition. And so she decided to step back. Um, And I've seen a lot of loving support on social media, but I've also seen, and I'm, I, I don't know why I'm so shocked by this, people saying, uh, I saw this one post like it's un-American. Like, what are we doing now that we allow people to just quit? Like, we're not Americans are not quitters. And you said something before, though, allowing us not to do something when we don't have to. Do you want to speak to that at all? Um, you mean speak to about Simone Biles or yeah, or just the the energy around that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's you know stuff like this. You know, I I I don't I usually don't talk too much about it because I I honestly just don't know what's happening with Simone. It's, you know, like we, the stuff we hear in the media, like no one knows if that's exactly, you know, legitimate or correct. But, you know, what I, what I feel like what we're, we're seeing from people like Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka. Mm -hmm. um, And, and, I mean, and I would say, you know, people have been speaking on this for a while, but it's, it's, it's just kind of like, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore. Mm. You know, and how they get to that place, you know, I'm I'm not sure. So I wouldn't attempt to try to make a guess. But I know for me personally in my life, 
what I'm, you know, really trying to develop more of a sensitive sensitivity to is when enough is enough. And, and like, how do I honor that? So like the breast, the four pillars of rest is like, okay, when I feel that I've come to the point where I need to release and stop because I've been in such motion and, and stuck in just continuing to kind of be like an autopilot for so long, it's really difficult for most people to just stop and just rest, right? So the four pillars are, are there to kind of like say, hey, these are some different these are some different pointers to, to help guide you out of the motion and into the flow, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's really like the rest practice isn't really an experience where I can say, oh, now you're doing it. It's more so something that we find ourselves in, right? Mm. You know, we, we, yeah. find, we find ourselves in that space. So it's my hope that Naomi, you know, continues to honor Naomi and um, and Simone continue to honor honor what's uh, what's needed for them. You know. Yeah, because I don't think you're asking us to be like now we're just napping or we're escaping reality. That's not what you're asking. But when it's when it's time, when we know that enough is enough, to allow ourselves that space to just be. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting back to E, so exhale all striving, empty, and I just wanted to read what you've written about it. Um, You said opening to and being accepting of the present moment is how we let go of unnecessary efforting. And when you and I had spoken last time, I feel like that's also something that's been on my focus lately of suddenly being aware of all these places where I'm, I'm trying to push (laughs) and just almost like it engages my body, even if it's a mental activity of like this efforting and just sort of wondering if I can in my mind, it's sort of like this, like sitting against a tree and just relaxing it if I can unmuscle it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's kind of like what you're pointing to is what I what I refer to as kind of like a, a result of just like internalized capitalism where the body is ignored. The human being is ignored. The heart is completely ignored. And it's all about what we can do and how much we can do it. You know, so um, the E of rest, where we, we, it's an invitation to exhale the striving and to be empty. It's, it's really about helping us to kind of like unhook from that train, that, that motion of, of being stuck in, in, uh, in doing, right? Mm. And what most importantly, in the context of meditation and contemplative practice, because just like in our everyday lives with work and, and whatever we're doing, like we're finding ourselves at a place where, you know, we spend three fourths of, of our day kind of like doing work, right? Yeah. So that's a reality. And we, we, we bring that, that stress and th- those habits into meditation practice where, mm-hmm. where it's all about getting the next experience. It's all about getting the you know like improving ourselves or 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 getting that 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 piece grasping it which becomes fatiguing you know Mm -hmm. and 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 that's so it's it's all like working together in a sense so that's what exhale all striving is really about yeah and I like that you say the improving yourself because I feel like a lot of the almost like 
wellness or meditative yoga space. Unfortunately, it's become a lot about that. I'll listen, I'll take yoga classes and it's like, if you want to deepen, if you want to go further, if you want, which I, I like, I don't, I'm not saying not have a challenge, but also sometimes the languaging is not around like, it's okay to be where you are, or it's okay to soften, or uh, we don't have to like continually be improving in every moment. Sometimes we can just be inside of that. And I guess for a while, I worried that like, if I heard the word empty, or I would be like, afraid of a practice that would get me to a space of exhaling, because just my understanding, what I thought empty was, was like obliterating. Mm -hmm. Over time, I feel like I've found such fullness and potential in emptiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like just on a practical level, if you were to ask the average person, hey, like, would you prefer to have your, your mind or your heart really heavy, full of, of thoughts and you know emotions? Or would you rather there to be more of a quality, a lightness, an emptiness to, to that? You know, like which experience is is more um, freeing? And you know, I think mm-hmm. that most people would connect with when our minds are, are empty. Um, that there's there's a lightness and there's a freedom that we that we connect with. So it's as we as we learn how to let go of the striving, um, we we begin to experience the fullness of being empty, found in our empty. There's a fullness that emerges, right? We feel. We feel alive, uh, mm. but that's that's something that we experience when we when we let go little by little. Mm, yeah, we feel alive. I feel like then I'm tapped into everything and all that is, and it's also such a almost simple idea that we want that lightness. That lightness is liberating. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll take it to S. Sense the silence or surrender. And I feel like silence here is not like it has to be without noise. It has to be without sound, or you have to be practicing this practice, this contemplative practice in a silent space, but perhaps more about understanding an absence of noise or I'll let you, how would you describe this? Yeah. So silence is a, is a, is another expression or name for awareness for being mm-hmm. and you know, for the S of rest, since the silence is when we become, we begin to recognize this is this silence is inherent to who and what we are. That's something that we produce, right? Um, and it go it goes back to I always go back to just that being workaholics is you know we think that we when we meditate it's about becoming quiet and you know getting rid of thoughts and you know (laughs) getting getting you know being being without any form of experience right and this the sensing of the silence is helping us to recognize that the silence of our being is undisturbed by thoughts emotions sensations you know what's happening in our, our sense field sounds so we don't need to be in conflict it goes back to grace Mm. We don't have to be in conflict with our experience. So we sense this as our reality, as truth. And then we learn mm. to surrender into that, right? Mm. I remember like years ago being in like trying my first meditative practices and I thought I wasn't supposed to have any thoughts. 
So it just became like this whole chase because I'd be trying to like still your mind and then I'd have a thought and then I'd be like, oh my gosh, I need to banish the thought. And then it just becomes this like vicious cycle. And then, oh my gosh, I'm doing it wrong. As opposed to, like you said, this awareness. And I feel like this awareness, remembering that this silence is within us or we carry this awareness within us is something that we can take from our practice out into the world and carry it with us. So it's not just like this practice that you do for seven minutes a day or 30 minutes a day. It's something that we can bring it into the world. Yeah, it's how we live because it's, it's, yeah. it's not just in us, it is us. Yeah. Right? So it's kind of like how we begin to be in the world. And, and it's, it's okay to, like I said earlier, it's, it's okay to work and to do. But like what I've noticed is that when we're more rested in our being, then we're more likely to be creative. You know, like what comes forth is creativity and, and, and expression, um, not, not something that's, that's, that's forced, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you talking about sort of, it is who we are so we can bring it into the world. Um, I feel like sometimes in this more like new agey <laughs> philosophy, there's this like self-reliance or independence or sort of like re- idea to like retreat from the world. But I actually think it's to rest and refresh so that you can get engage more fully with it. Do you feel that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, but it's different for everyone, right? Mm. Some people, you know, for in this lifetime, you know, they're called to to retreat away from people, away from the world. Mm. And I think it's 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 I don't think it's any need to, you know, degrade that in any way or put it put it down. I just I think we all have unique callings. And I think Mm. for us, like myself, who are called to be in the world, um, that we that I have a way of, of being in the world and being creative and and working and producing but without losing my 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 sense of uh of beingness right mm. so I, th- I think we we all have our specific callings and i think the, the the challenge is for us to wherever we find ourselves is to 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 not lose sense of this grace and the, this sense of um presence mm. That was a beautiful reminder for me to like soften my judgment around all of that. Um, so we'll, we'll move to T now. So tune into awareness or trust. And you've written that trust your personal experience of being aware. Mm-hmm. How, how do we begin to trust ourselves? I feel like many of us are disconnected from trusting. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not easy. It's, and it's not a one, two, three step. Yeah. You know, for me, the trust emerges as we begin to allow ourselves to rest. Mm. The more we feel it in our bodies and our systems become more accustomed to 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 stopping and releasing. Um, there's a I think there's a clarity and there's a recognition of of this 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 sense of I would I would just say uh, freedom um, that that we can begin to allow ourselves to, to lean into more. Mm. And, you know, for tune into awareness, it's, it's really the, the practice of, of feeling, allowing ourselves to feel this release more and more and more and more, you know, it's not like we, 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 
the T of rest is like where we've accomplished it, you know, like <laughs> we have it, but it's more so like if I can learn to, to trust in the reality that, that I am here, I'm aware and I'm always free of, of whatever is happening around me or within me, then I think we become more, more, more alive to this experience of just being aware, you know? Mm. I feel like it's, visceral in some ways like you you mentioned feeling or in the body I was for a while I'd been working with a healer slash teacher and he kept asking me how does that make you feel and I kept saying I think and he'd be like no no no, start again (laughs) every time I said I think because I didn't realize how much I was leading from my head and there are spaces like obviously we need our to use our minds to, to think but I was forgetting about the heart like how to get quiet enough or not quite to get I don't know tune in enough that I could feel mm-hmm. and that has shifted my whole way of being in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. So, you know, we rest and we practice not so that we become Im- immune to life, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know we, we practice so that we might wake and wake up so that we can <clears throat> become more sensitive so that we can, we can, we can act in a way that is, is, is honoring and, kind of like supporting our realization of, of our inherent um, freedom. And we, 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 you know, all of the things we do in the world should represent making the world a place where everyone is able to experience that, you know? Actually, let's, let's move into to that because uh, you've said that you believe that not all practice or contemplative practices fit all people. And you invite us to consider ancestral grief and transgenerational trauma and the impact of systemic injustice. Uh, you said in, in the tissues of our bodies and within the corners of our psyches. So tell me more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, what, I, what I'm become, really becoming aware of is that when we talk about meditation, we can't present it anymore, or we're learning that presenting it as as a as a one one size fit all thing, you know, it's it's, it's just not working anymore. Um, and and I think what what's being what's missing for for a lot of us is the different experiences and uh, the intersectionality of 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 beings that that are showing up to these practices and we're bringing ancestral grief we're we're bringing trauma we're bringing you know fatigue from racism and different phobias you know all of this is what we are embodying when we come in and attempt to practice meditation so i think there has to be a way for for us to be creative about how the practices are presented um, in order for people to be able to benefit from them. So like for me, the rest practice is that I was, I was, I was recognizing that many people who were coming to practice were tired. You know, they were tired from having to face and repeatedly, repeatedly being exposed to injustice in the world, you know, and, and they were also weary 
because during their practice, they weren't really able to rest because the, the practices weren't, weren't taking into consideration, um, you know, their experiences. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that, of how uh, people who might be carrying this ancestral grief or like systemic injustice might feel excluded in some practices? Absolutely. Um, so just, just for exa example, like when we know about trauma, like we know that one of the basic things that shows up for a lot of people is just kind of a, a sense of anxiety, a sense of um, not being safe, uh, a sense of overwhelmed, um, a, a lot of heaviness shows up when they're invited to meditate and to focus. Mm. So for me, that's just a simple example of, okay, so what are some other options for people who find focusing and concentrating difficult, right? And like for me as a practitioner, like in a teacher, like I'm always trying to listen to what people are saying is showing up for them in practice, right? Yeah. So it's a it's it's understanding that you know people are are, are all of us are wired differently. And if all of us are wired differently, we have to be at least willing to adjust and adapt our, our practices in a way that, that take into consideration our differences. Mm. I guess that takes us into Heart Refuge. You, you co-lead this organization that centers the practice of mindfulness and the experiences and cultures of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. And you've said that, or the, your website says, our community understands that we cannot address and relieve the damage of the systems of white supremacy and patriarchy if we do not address and care for our own hearts and bodies. What's the connection between uprooting white supremacy, uprooting patriarchy, and BIPOC folks caring for themselves individually and collectively? Yeah, that's a great question. For me, you know, I feel like the rest practice actually speaks to and highlights the main, I would just say the fundament, fundamental, um, the, the underlying energies of white supremacy and, and just uh, capitalism and patriarchy. I, because I feel like the, the common thread through all of that is principles like power over, right? Mm -hmm. And we bring that into our meditation practice where we exercise power over our thoughts. We try to control them. We try to shut them out. And then also like get, always getting more, always trying to acquire something, always seeking something, right? And that, that's definitely found in capitalism, but also mm -hmm. we bring that into our meditation practice where we, for some reason, there's not enough in who we are. And I think we learn a, a lot of that is conditioned into us um, as we just grow up living in this, this capitalist structure here in America. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, and, and thinking about patriarchy where there's a, there's a, there's a centering of, of one way, right? Mm -hmm. a, a, a lack of, a lack of, um, of diversity in a, in a sense. Mm -hmm. 
there's always this uh, hierarchy hierarchy of um, norms in a sense. And I, I just think we bring all of this into our, 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 our meditation practice where it's like, okay, I'm gonna dominate this practice. I'm gonna dominate my mind so that I could feel good about myself, right? And yeah. like for me, how I really, um, I kind of like working to uproot these tendencies within myself is by, by practicing meditation in the way that's free of all of that, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I look and say, okay, what about white supremacy is dangerous and harmful, right? And it's like always trying to be in control, right? You, you know, separation, separate othering, So these things take place within our our meditation practice, but oftentimes they're given a past and not named as being extensions of these social energies, you know? Mm -hmm. So like for me, I I try to observe the othering, meaning as I am right now, it's not enough. So I need to try to become what I'm not in order to be okay. Okay. Or what I need to do is make sure I maintain a certain level of control over what's happening in my experience. Because if I don't have, if I'm not in control, then I may be taken out, right? Mm. And I feel like the, the, the urgency to always strive and to produce and to get somewhere else is that anxiety that we, that, that we experience in the world that shows up in our practice where, where we, we just, we feel like it's not okay. We're not okay right now. Mm. Yeah. I'm wondering now, people who have experienced this rest practice with you, what are some of the reactions? Or is there a reaction to it that has stuck with you that someone it's shifted them even on a, in a subtle way? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's been really interesting because I, you know, I, I teach this reoccurring five-week online course. Um, and I get different people from all over with different experiences. And, you know, for some people, the, the practice of rest is, has helped them to work with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for a lot of people, the, the practice has, has supported them in, in really just allowing themselves the permission to, to stop and to not have to always be in motion. And, you know, for most people, it's, it's, it's helping them to see that, hey, there's a meditation practice for me, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't require me to, to be a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, that's, what I'm really, that's what I'm really seeing. And, you know, and just like I said earlier, like the main experience that I, I encounter when people come to class is that everybody is exhausted. You know, and we exhausted for different reasons, but the common thread is just exhaustion. Mm. You know, I feel like what's so powerful about that when people have this reaction of like, "Oh, there's a practice for me," is what you're doing by creating the space is opening up the arms of belonging to more people, to everyone, as it as it should be. I'm also wondering. I have this written down in my notes, and I'm not sure if it follows the thread exactly, but we'll go with it. 
this quote from Audre Lorde that I always come back to, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Mm -hmm. Do you connect to that at all uh, and this practice? Absolutely. You know, care, I think, is, is kind of like, I would say, is that the base of rest. You know, it's it's kind of like I'm 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 caring for myself in a way that the world won't. Yeah. You know, I'm exercising agency over this moment. And when I say maybe exercising agency in this moment rather than over. And my, in this moment, my body doesn't belong to someone else, you know, and I'm not working on behalf of someone else in this moment. Um, and, you know, therefore, I don't have to try to prove myself or to improve anything about me in this moment. And, mm -hmm. I, and I think, you know, that's what um, a lot of going back to your question earlier around, like, how this supports BIPOC people, I think, because for just generations, we've, we've been working for others. You know, but we've also been resting for generations, too. Like, we've always been, been finding creative ways to return to the to the, the rhythm of, of rest and you know restoring ourselves. But uniquely, I just think at this the state that we are in our country, BIPOC people are constantly uh, having to prove themselves um, for survival, um, whether it's you know when we're driving and when we get pulled over or when we show up on a job. You know, and that 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 becomes tiresome. That's exhausting. So th these are these are what people are bringing to Heart Refuge. They're coming to Heart Refuge with, you know, depending on how old you are. If you're 40 and you're a BIPOC person, you've been most likely dealing with that for 40 years. So when we show up, we, we bring everything to the table with us. So um, I think rest has a component of, of social justice in a sense. Yeah. Is that that we're 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 stepping outside of the system, you know, and we're saying this is this is what we're doing in this moment, you know? Yeah, and that that level of care, especially for people or bodies who that have tried to been oppressed or for so long or, or not considered or not seen, uh, to exercise that element of care. I think that's going back to what Audrey Lord. That's why it's I don't I don't know active political warfare, but it's an act of resistance, but also an act of love. It's an act of community care. Um, and I feel like you're providing space for that. Okay, I will try to wrap it up. I, <laughs> I do have a few more things I wanna ask you. Um, we'll just, we'll touch on this briefly. And then I have a little lightning round for you at the end okay. and then I will let you go on your day. <laughs> so you're a restorative justice facilitator in DC schools. Mm -hmm. I guess tell me a little bit about what that work looks like. And because I also feel like it may seem separate than from this contemplative practice or the work you do here, but I feel like they're intertwined. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with restorative justice, the work that I do here in, in DC schools, it's, it's really about supporting schools and recognizing and creating pathways for, um, community accountability to, to be a part of the school culture, but also proactive community building where, where we're a key component of the school, the school learning environment is connection. 
where both teachers and students sit down with each other and they, be, they get to know each other in a way where the, the teacher's status is not in play. So the teacher isn't superior and the student is, is inferior, but there's a coming together of a way of getting to know us in order to build trust with each other. And the, the premise is that when there's, when there's trust, it's more likely that people in the environment would feel like they have a purpose and that they belong. And, you know, and that, that even goes to like when, you know, if, if I'm a student, when I, when I mess up or I take a misstep, like how you handle me in that moment has a huge impact on how I feel about myself, right? Yeah. So with the restorative uh, responses, the responsive strategies that we um, help schools to develop is about like, hey, we need to be proactive about getting to know and connecting and building relationships. But when we respond to situations that are challenging and difficult or harm takes place, we don't kick out of the door these human values like love and equity and generosity and patience, you know, like all of these must still be at the forefront of our hearts and minds when we develop various um, policies, policies for dealing with behavior as well, right? Mm. You said when someone, a child or student makes a mistake, quote unquote, how, how someone responds to that is, is powerful or important in that moment. And last time you and I had spoken just in preparation for this conversation, you had said to me that this work awakens the inherent goodness of the, the students and the, and the people who are involved. How does that shift things for them? Yeah, so like when I work with youth, like my one thing, and this this is foundational to my spiritual practice as well, but it's I, I approach them with the understanding that there's good within and they know that there's good within. And sometimes what's only needed is the reminder of that goodness. Yes. Right. So we're not bettering students. We're not making them good students or good people. We're, we're pointing them and f- finding out ways to connect with them in a way where they experience their own goodness, right? And you know, and that even takes place, like I said, when students do something that is against the agreements of the school culture or policy, right? It's like in those moments, how do we respond to the situation where we don't lose sight of the humanity of the, of the student that we're working with? And a lot of that has to do with learning that co-regulation is critical. And we put a lot on self-regulation mm-hmm. and, you know, and th- that has its place. But co-regulation is really when there's a mutual recognition of the humanity in one person and in another person in a moment, right? And it's through that compassionate witnessing, that empathetic listening, that even though there might be some teaching and correcting that's taking place, there's a felt sense of that I see you and I want you to be here. Oh, I see you and I want you to be there, be here. And you 
you referenced something that it reminded me of, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase a quote or a poem from Galway Kennel. I think it is something like sometimes all that's necessary is to reteach a thing its loveliness. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, I guess, last question, and then we'll move into the lightning round. Um, how is all, you, you referenced the word connection before that the restorative justice work sort of promotes or happens in community, happens in connection. How have these connections that you've made through Heart Refuge and your work in schools changed you? How has it impacted you? Oh, it, it, I'm, I'm obligated to, to, you know, practice what I preach. Mm. You know, it's, it's, I, never, I never have a moment when I'm able to, to, to step outside of those values and principles that I, I aim to, to honor and um, cultivate in schools working with youth, you know, and when with at Heart Refuge, you know, it's, it's I, I have to maintain this quality of, of care always, you know. And I'm, mm. I'm learning, but the thing is, is always being in a space of learning and being willing to not know, you know, so a lot of the work, a lot of the, I would say the knowledge and wisdom that I get is, is, stepping into those spaces spaces with um, a certain level or degree of openness and curiosity, knowing that the beings who show up are bringing wisdom with them as well. Mm. So I, it's not like I'm always bringing in or, you know, like this, this, this idea where, you know, I'm coming to instill into these these people something that they don't already have oh yeah (laughs) I absolutely love that and you mentioned curiosity and clearly that's one of my favorite qualities (laughs) in a human uh, openness and curiosity so how and where can people experience your teachings for themselves yeah so if you're in the DC area well because of COVID now everything is is online is virtual but um heart refuge mindfulness community is a mindfulness community for BIPOC um, that I co-founded along with Mama Aisha Ali. Um, we're based out of DC um, and we have several offerings um, that are happening weekly, ongoingly. Um, and we meet on Tuesdays at, from six to seven and on Thursdays uh, from 6.45 to about eight, 8.15. Um, and that's open for all BIPOC people um, and we also have bi-weekly unlearning patriarchy groups. Um, and those groups are divided up um, for people who identify as, as masculine and male presenting, and also uh, people who identify as um, female and feminine presenting. So those happen bi-weekly. Um, so we have a website, www.heartrefugemindfulnesscommunity.org. So you can find out more about us there. Um, I also have my personal website, um, www.rashidhughes.com and on that website you'll be able to hear some teachings that I've given but you can also find um, information about my ongoing rest five-week online course called rest the practice for the tired and weary we're actually starting uh, the next cohort is starting today so I'm excited about that um, but I offer the course ongoingly so about every so the course is about five weeks so like Every seven weeks or so, there's a new course starting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I will definitely have links to all of that in the show notes so people can just easily click and find it. 
Um, all right, are you ready? We're gonna do a lightning round. Although as I often tease, I call these, I call it the lightning round, but I don't always ask questions that are like <laughs> snappy, <laughs> but we'll, we'll see, no pressure. Um, so you ready for a few of these? I am. Okay. <laughs> uh, the first one that I have for you is when you become aware of doubt rising in you, what's the first thing that you do? Mm, I relax. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I relax. I know you received your, or at least you can correct me if I'm wrong, your Master of Divinity degree from Howard University School of Divinity. Is that true? Yes. Is there, and I know how still connected to that faith you are, but is there a spiritual or biblical passage that you return to for wisdom? Mm. Yeah, it's so many. Um, I would say, Take no thought for your life, what you will eat, drink, or wear. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, should I ask a follow-up question? Because this is a lightning round. Uh, <laughs> I, I should probably just let it be. Mm. This one's just a little more playful. Okay. Your most played artist on Spotify. Who are you listening to the most? Mm. I don't use Spotify, but... okay. Um, I listen, I listen to a lot of jazz. Ooh. Yeah, I was, I used to be a jazz musician. So I listened to, oh, wow. jazz, so Miles Davis. Mm. I love Miles Davis. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So we had referenced before that as in the moment that we're recording this, the Olympics are currently happening. Do you tune in? Is like there a sport that you're excited to watch or have been watching? I love tennis. Mm. I, I, I love tennis. I love Serena Williams, Venus, uh, Naomi Osaka. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watch a lot of tennis. Mm. I love gymnastics too. <laughs> you don't have to love gymnastics. I, don't, I have a, a pretty love-hate relationship with the sport, so you don't have to love gymnastics. No, I do. I actually love gymnastics. <laughs> like I have a complicated history with gymnastics, so I'm aware of what's going on in the sport. Yeah. Um, but I don't always, I, I'm probably, I don't always watch it, but I do love tennis. Um, I can't play it, but I love tennis. So yeah, when you went, mentioned Naomi Osaka before, I was like, oh yeah, he must be a tennis guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, two more. This one, who's your dream dinner guest? If you can have dinner with anyone. Hmm, I've never thought of that. <laughs> um, if I could, this person has passed away, but if I could have dinner, with anybody, I would probably say um, right now at this moment, um, maybe Harriet Tubman. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like Harriet Tubman really embodied breast. Mm. So I would love to learn more. <laughs> I And I've never heard her described that way that she embodied rest. Mm. I just, I want to selfishly be like a fly on the wall of that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> just listen in. I, you know, don't need to take any space. You don't need to feed me. I just kind of want to <laughs> listen to you two talk. The last question that I have for you is what are you most grateful for in this moment? Mm. I would say my fiance. Mm. Yeah. Um, and just, uh, I would just say joy, mm. you know, just joy. Um, you know, a lot of stuff is, a lot is happening in the world right now. A lot of injustice, a lot of exploitation, a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff is going on. Um, 
So, uh, you know, I'm really grateful for the, you know, practice gives me joy. It, it helps me not to forget who I am, you know, and it, it helps me also to see um, my, my um, interconnectedness with other beings who help me to, to co-regulate and to remain well during times like this. So, mm. yeah, I would say my fiance, Joy, you know, my family, that gratitude question is a long question. <laughs> it's not, it's never one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I have to say for those who can't see you right now, uh, before you answered that question, you just sort of closed your eyes for a moment and took it in. I thought that was beautiful before you said your fiance and joy. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm so, like I said, I'm, I'm just, I'm so grateful for this conversation. I am grateful for who you are. Um, I just, I just want to like linger in this all day. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for joining and sharing. Thanks for having me, Ashley. Mm. Yeah. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science, then let them in talk up their body, another one body, that's just how it go. I got some secrets, I'm shaking the game so they stay on their toes, stay in your lane, I to stay on the go. I came to play with the pros and act like a rookie, so they overlook me, then I double up again, none of their nose, none of them cold. They just got lucky but never adapted, so I'm to the one if it's coming to blows, my enemies cutting it close. I let them think that they got me, but what do you know? I had them beat before we ever spoke, I'm ready for smoke. I need to know everything, who and the what and the where, I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything.